Turn together now to the Word of God in Habakkuk 2. Habakkuk 2. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. Habakkuk was afraid, as we noted last Lord's Day evening, afraid that he had said too much and afraid that God was going to rebuke him for what he had said. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Yea, also because he transgresseth by wine. He is a proud man. God is speaking here. You may remember that the book of Habakkuk is a conversation between God and the prophet. And the prophet's been speaking in those first four verses, and now in verses five through the end of the chapter, God answers him once again. Yea, also because he transgresseth by wine, he is a proud man, neither keepeth at home, who enlargeth his desire as hell, and is as death, and cannot be satisfied, but gathereth unto him all nations, and heapeth unto him all people. Shall not all these take up a parable against him, and a taunting proverb against him, and say, Woe to him that increaseth that which is not his? How long? And to him that ladeth himself with thick clay? Shall they not rise up suddenly that shall bite thee, and awake that shall vex thee, and thou shalt be for booties unto them? Because thou hast spoiled many nations, all the remnant of the people shall spoil thee. Because of men's blood, and for the violence of the land, of the city, and of all that dwell therein. Woe to him that coveteth an evil covetousness to his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of evil. Thou hast consulted shame to thy house by cutting off many people, and hast sinned against thy soul. For the stone shall cry out of the wall, and the beam out of the timber shall answer it. Woe to him that buildeth a town with blood and establisheth a city by iniquity. Behold, is it not of the Lord of hosts that the people shall labor in the very fire 
And the people shall weary themselves for very vanity. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, that puttest thy bottle to him, and makest him drunken also, that thou mayest look on their nakedness. Thou art filled with shame for glory. Drink thou also, and let thy foreskin be uncovered. The cup of the Lord's right hand shall be turned unto thee, and shameful spewing shall be on thy glory. For the violence of Lebanon shall cover thee, and the spoil of beasts which made them afraid, because of men's blood and for the violence of the land, of the city, and of all that dwell therein. What profiteth the graven image that the maker thereof hath graven it? The molten image, and a teacher of lies, that the maker of his work trusteth therein to make dumb idols. Woe unto him that saith to the wood, Awake, to the dumb stone, Arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is laid over with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in the midst of it. But the Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth keep silence before him. That last verse, verse 20, is the text for this evening's sermon. How often, my dear fellow believers, how often have you been hurt, injured, I don't mean physically injured, by someone else, suffered at their hands or at their tongues, and found that it's difficult to deal with such things, especially when you suffer them at the hands or mouth of a family member or another member of the church. Been abused, perhaps, or hurt, badly hurt, in some other way. If that's happened, and it does happen to most of us at one time or another, how have you, how have you reacted to that? Been bitter? Angry? Frustrated? Because when you talk to them, they won't acknowledge what they've done. Never get an apology from them. Frustrated because no one seems to care about what's happened. 
frustrated because nothing gets done? Because what they've done is wrong? And there seems to be no justice for you. And I'm not just talking about the fact that there isn't much justice for those who've been wronged in our society. But sometimes it seems that way in the church too. That you suffer an injustice and it's never made right. There is no justice. Some of us having been hurt in those, in all the different ways that that can happen, are probably still trying to deal with anger, bitterness, frustration, all of those things. Perhaps even spending our time hoping that something bad will happen to whoever hurt us. And if it does, secretly rejoicing in that. That is the kind of thing that the Word of God here in Habakkuk 2 and especially in verse 20 is addressing. It gives us a reason for harboring bitterness or anger. It may be, from a human point, entirely justified, but as you probably know, it does us no spiritual good. If that's the way we're living, harboring those things in our hearts, In the Word of God here in Habakkuk 2 verse 20 has some very necessary and important counsel for us. That counsel was given first of all, of course, through the prophet Habakkuk to Judah, but it's here for us also in circumstances of that kind. And if we are inclined to harbor bitterness and anger and frustration and all of those other things, even hatred for those who've injured us in our hearts. Call your attention then, that's the truth that the prophet Habakkuk brings to our attention call your attention to this verse using the words of the verse as a theme, Jehovah in his holy temple. We're going to look at different things in connection with that. We're going to look, first of all, at the situation in Judah that made this word of God necessary And we're going to look at that promise or that assurance that God is in his holy temple 
And finally, at what that means for us, which is expressed in the verse with those words, let all the earth keep silence before him. We already went briefly through chapter 1, but let me remind you briefly again of what we saw there in Habakkuk 1. Habakkuk begins with a complaint about all the sin that was present in the nation of Judah, about their wickedness. How long, Habakkuk says, shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? It seemed to him that God hadn't noticed what was going on in the nation of Judah. And he wondered if God was ever going to do anything about Judah's sins. I cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou, cause, why dost thou show me iniquity, and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me. There are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked. And judgment doth never go forth. No justice. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. And you'll remember that God answers the prophet. And says to him, I've seen all that. You're wrong when you think I haven't noticed. And I'm going to deal with it. But you, Habakkuk, and the people of God in Judah are not going to like the way in which I deal with it. I am going to send the Babylonians. And before things ever get back better in the nation of Judah, they're going to get much worse. The cruelty and wickedness of the Babylonians, even in those days, were legendary. You have some examples of that in the Bible. When the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem and captured Zedekiah, the last king of Judah. They killed his sons in front of him and then put out his eyes and hauled him away to Babylon to prison. Daniel and his three friends, even before Jerusalem was captured, princes in Judah were taken away from their families and from the land of Judah, carried away to Babylon, castrated, and made slaves of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. And those are just a few examples. You read the prophecy of Jeremiah. We read a little bit of chapter 5 last week. And you get some sense of what the coming of the Babylonians would mean 
for Judah. And in the face of that, Habakkuk was shocked. That's the last part of chapter 1. The Babylonians? Yes, we've been wicked. We've been disobedient. But the Babylonians? They're far more wicked than we are. As far as their religion goes, and that's to say nothing about their cruelty, they worship their fishing nets. And you're going to use them against Judah to punish Judah's wickedness? And God says, yes, that's the way it's going to be. The vision will be fulfilled. It may be a while, but it's coming. Just as I said. And Habakkuk, who was deeply troubled by all of that, finally says in the first verses of chapter 2, I don't know what else to say. I'm just going to go up in my watchtower. Probably he's going to rebuke me for saying too much, but I'll wait there for an answer. I'm done talking. And God's word to him, and through him to the faithful in Judah, was not any assurance that after all he was going to change his plans and the Babylonians wouldn't come or wouldn't be as evil as their reputation was. But God's word to Habakkuk was simply, the just shall live by his faith. You must understand, Habakkuk, and Judah with you, you must understand that no matter what happens, no matter what evils come on the nation of Judah, on the church of those days, they are not for those who belong to Christ by faith, they are not my judgment, my angry judgment, but only the gentle rain of my chastisement, justified by faith in Jesus Christ. I will never, ever send my judgments on my people as I send them on the ungodly world. That was what God's people had to know, first of all, in the face of Babylon's coming, and of all that that would mean, of the horrible days that would follow. Now, beginning with verse 5, God says to Habakkuk and to Judah, I want you to know also that the Babylonians 
after I'm finished using them to chastise Judah, the Babylonians are going to get everything and more that's coming to them. Most of chapter 2, beginning with verse 5, is about God's judgments on Babylon. About the fact that because, because they had touched his people and brought suffering on his church, that he was going to bring his judgments, the judgments from which his people were safe, he was going to bring those judgments on them. In verses 5 and following, God speaks of Babylon, probably thinking especially of their king, in terms of a very wealthy an influential man who's gained his wealth by dishonesty and violence, by oppression of others, by stealing and cheating and lying and all of the rest, who uses his wealth to build himself a walled mansion where he thinks he'll be safe from those whom he's injured, and who uses his house, once it's built, for drunken parties and reveling, for adultery and fornication and every other kind of wickedness, and who is guilty of getting others involved in all of his wickedness. He invites them to his drunken revelings. They're part of his cheating and stealing. And God says in those verses, what Babylon has done to others, I am going to do to them. And you might ask, of course, but didn't God himself use them to chastise Judah? And the answer is, yes, he did. God says that here in the prophecy. But that makes no difference as far as Babylon's wickedness was concerned. God's sovereignty over ungodly men does not at all change the fact that they are guilty and will be punished for their wickedness. Babylon, in this case. But, God is concerned, here in Habakkuk 2, having spoken of what's going to happen to Babylon, they're going to get exactly what they did to others. You have an example of that in Verse 8, because thou hast spoiled many nations, all the remnant of the people shall spoil thee because of men's blood and for the violence of the land, of the city and of all that dwell there. Perfect justice from God. 
on Babylon. Exactly what Babylon deserved. Now, the question is then, what what does that have to do with us? We saw the answer that we live in a time when Babylon, always in Scripture a name for the ungodly world, and even for those who in the church serve themselves and serve not Christ but the kingdom of the beast, Babylon is still around. And God uses all the wickedness that Babylon still does today among God's people and in the church. God uses that to chastise his people, to deal with the sins of his people. Disobedience to his law and disregard for his law. The fact that even in the church it sometimes seems that there is no justice. Or as I put it earlier, that you see or are are one who suffers wrong and no one seems to care, no one seems to listen when you bring the matter up. Not even among those who are responsible for justice in God's church. God is talking about situations that were present in Judah, would be especially when the Babylonians came, but that are always true in the church. The kind of things I was talking about earlier in the beginning injustice, wrong, hurtful behavior, all those different things that never seem to be dealt with in the church of Jesus Christ and that leave us angry, frustrated, bitter, hoping that bad things will happen to those who've injured us, and even rejoicing when they do. That kind of thing is pictured in the coming of Babylon. All the harm that the ungodly do to the church of Christ, but also the harm the violence it's called to hear in Habakkuk that the members of the church do to one another and sometimes suffer at the hands and mouths of each other. God says, that's the first thing here in Habakkuk too. I'm going to deal with that. I always do. You may not find justice in the church among those who are responsible for it, but I judge righteously those who do evil to my people will suffer for it. 
be sure. Maybe not in this life. But my my judgments are always, always just and righteous. And what God did to Babylon stands forever as an example of his perfect justice and righteousness. We don't have to worry. That's part of Habakkuk's message. Don't have to worry that God will not deal with wickedness and evil doing and injury and hurt and injustice. Especially when it's his people who suffer those things. But, and that's what verse 20 is all about. God's spoken of Babylon's judgment and of what's going to happen to them in the absolutely perfect justice of God. They will get everything that they deserve. But God in verse 20 is saying to, the, to Habakkuk and to the people of Judah, don't, don't make that your focus. It's going to happen. But don't sit around now, and especially when Babylon comes and does all this evil to you, Don't sit around doing nothing but waiting for Babylon to get what it deserves. I don't want that to be your focus. I want you to know that I'm always righteous and just. I deal with evil. But don't make that everything in the days ahead. Don't focus on the injuries you suffered. Don't don't let yourself fall into bitterness and anger against Babylon and spend your days waiting and hoping for Babylon to get everything that it deserves. That will do you no spiritual good. Someone once said, you know, of bitterness. Very common human reaction to injury and to hurt. Someone once said of of bitterness, emphasizing the fact that it does us no spiritual good, but enormous spiritual harm. Someone said that bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping that the person who injured you dies. Foolish, but sinful also. And God did not want Judah To be like we often are when we've suffered injury 
at the hands of others. Times of persecution. To think only of the fact that God has promised in his word that those who persecute his church are going to suffer for it as Babylon suffered at the hands of God. It's going to happen, but don't let that consume your days, consume your energy, consume your thinking. Don't let that be everything. This, that's verse 20. This is what you must focus on. This is what you must remember. This is what you must think about. The Lord is in his holy temple. Don't focus on those who injured you, but look to me. Don't be tied up in knots over what's happened to you. But remember that I am the Lord and I sit enthroned in my holy temple. The temple there is a reference to heaven. And the fact that God is there a reference to his sovereignty He's enthroned there as the ruler of all things so that nothing happens by chance, but everything under his sovereign control. Remember that, God says to Judah and to us. I'm in control of those who injured you. I'm in control of Babylon. They're not going to do anything that I haven't eternally determined to be done. They're not going to be able to go a step beyond what I in my sovereign good pleasure have already determined in using them to chastise Judah. I'm on the throne, not those who injure you. For all their power and wealth and influence, in spite of the fact that they seem to swallow up the nations, without anyone to oppose them. I'm still the Lord of lords and King of kings. If I use Nebuchadnezzar to drag Daniel and his three friends off to Babylon and to do such horrible things to them, then that doesn't happen apart from my will. The Lord is in his holy temple. 
But not just, that doesn't just speak of God's sovereignty. It speaks of the fact that in his sovereignty, his rule over all things, in the fact that he has eternally willed, decreed, planned, determined everything, he is the God of his people. That's why the name Jehovah is used there in our English version, the Lord in capital letters. But that name, perhaps more than any other of his names, emphasizes the fact that he is the one who is pleased to take us as his own and to live with us forever in blessed fellowship. And enthroned as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, he's enthroned in the very place, the temple. Be that a reference to the earthly temple or to heaven, he's enthroned in the very place where he will dwell with his people for all eternity. Think of that. And not what's going to happen to the Babylonians. Make that the object of your meditation, your thinking, your prayers. And don't, don't, don't sit around waiting for something bad to happen to your enemies and to those who've so badly injured you. You can see how that applies. How am I to react when someone does me wrong? No one wants to know about it. No one will listen. I can't get justice even in the church. How am I to react? Here it is. Not with bitterness and anger, but remembering that the Lord is in his holy temple. And that means, that's the rest of the verse, That means silence. Stop complaining. Stop being angry. Stop being bitter. And if nobody will listen, you have to come to the point, you have to seek justice. When there's wrong, especially in the church of Jesus Christ, you ought to speak up against evil. But if nobody will listen, then perhaps it's time to keep silence even about that and to remember that I am sovereign, nothing happening by chance, but all things under my sovereign direction and control, and that in my sovereignty, 
I am forever for Christ's sake, for the sake of the blood that was shed at Calvary, the God of my people. Nothing will ever change that. And you must reckon with it. Remember that. Stop all that other stuff. And God is talking to Habakkuk too, who was shocked, as we often are, by the way in which God deals with us and with his church. The Babylonians? You have, you have got to be kidding. How can this happen? How can I live with this? Until finally, of course, he said, I, I don't know what else to say. I'm just going to go into my tower and wait for an answer. This is part of God's answer to Habakkuk and to us. When we find in our own lives that God's ways are not our ways and His thoughts are not our thoughts, that He deals with us, especially when He's chastising us in ways that we would never have imagined. Correcting us in ways that leave us shocked and hurt and wondering how he, the God of his people, can so deal with them. How can he let, for example, wicked men take over in the church of Christ and all but destroy the worship and life of the church. How can he let his people? That's an issue in our churches now. How can he let some of his people be abused as they are by others? The Lord is in his holy temple. That's the answer. And the only answer you're ever going to get to those questions. He's sovereign. He's sovereign as the God and Savior of his people who's loved them with an eternal love, who sent his Son to die for them, and who will, no matter the circumstances, only, ever do them good. You see, not just a word of God for Judah, is it? But it's here in the prophecy of Habakkuk, Spirit made sure it was remembered and written down that it won't be forgotten Till the world ends. That's God's answer. 
in all of our struggles, when we're tempted to react sinfully to His ways with us, to question His ways and His wisdom in His dealings with us. Then He says, as He has always said, the Lord is in His holy temple. Remember that. And if you're inclined to anger, to murmuring about His ways, then be silent. But that silence isn't just the silence of those who have come to realize what God's sovereignty as the God and Savior of His people means. But it's the silence, too, that comes as you think about, meditate on, remember that wonderful truth that He loves His people with an everlasting love and is in Jesus Christ their Savior and is the sovereign God of heaven and earth in His love for His people makes all things happen according to a perfect plan and purpose that will end with them in that temple, with Him in heaven. It's that silence too, the silence of the one who realizing in all of his troubles and trials that Jehovah is his God. And that that's everything. Nothing can change that. Nothing can come between him and the God who loves him and who has saved him. If you understand that, beloved, in your own circumstances, if you understand that, then that will lead you to the confession of those last verses of this prophecy. That's where it goes. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall the fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. you imagine that? That was what was ahead for Judah, and worse. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds' feet. He will make me to walk upon mine high places. May God, teaching us the truth of Habakkuk 2, verse 20, lead us each in our own circumstances and especially in life's troubles, discouragements, disappointments, injuries, suffering, and all of the rest. May God lead us to that confession.
Bless the word to us this evening, Father. Thank thee for it. Though spoken in weakness and heard with much weakness and sin, we trust that our Lord Jesus Christ, by his Spirit, will apply it to each of us as we have need of it. And give us joy in the Lord, that peace that passes understanding, and the assurance that this God is our God and will be our guide unto the end. Forgive our sins. Bless us as we go our separate ways once again. Remember Mr. Kuiper and his family in this difficult time. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.